Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. My husband and my boys are big fans of superheroes. All the capes, all the crusades, all the crime fighting, they are engrossed. I regularly tell my husband he should consider opening his own comic shop because of the amount of comic books and memorabilia he has stashed away. Now, I know what you're thinking, but Rachel, this is a Catholic program. Why are we talking about superheroes? What do superheroes and the Eucharist have in common? I'm so glad you asked, because this week you're going to get a special glimpse into our renewed mini-sode series, Musings of a Catholic Evangelist, with Sister Geraldine Schmidt of the Sisters of Christian Charity. And if DC superheroes are your thing, you'll definitely want to keep listening to what Father Don Bender of St. Patrick Parish in Carlisle has to say about his revert experience, his transformative encounters with the Eucharist, and his homily to First Communicants. Some time ago, I had a wonderful experience of binge-watching with my 11-year-old nephew, the TV series Flash on Netflix. I absolutely love superheroes, especially the Marvel ones. I, I don't know. There's something, there's something amazing when you see a human being gifted by whatever to have these superpowers that rights wrong and does good, you know, and it, it just, it just, I love, just love watching them. Next morning, as after this binge watching, I think we saw a whole season of episodes of The Flash. During my morning prayer time, I realized that th there are superheroes in the Catholic Church, and we call them saints. And that a lot of those superheroes, a lot of the saints that we have in our church, focused on and wrote about and taught about the Eucharist and the importance of the Eucharist. Um, one of them was Blessed Carlo Cutis, who had the superhuman ability of computer programming back when creating websites were kind of a, a mystery to the average Joe. He created a website that cataloged Eucharistic mir miracles for the entire world to see. His love of the Eucharist was clearly seen on this, on this website. Another saint in the, in the Orthodox Church by the name of Nicholas Cabayas used his pen to teach about the Eucharist. When describing the Eucharist, he says, Unlike any other sacrament, the mystery of the Eucharist is so perfect that it brings us to the heights of every good thing. Here is the ultimate goal of every human desire because here we attain God and God joins himself to us in the most perfect union. Through the sacrament, 
the Pilgrim Church is nourished, deepen her communion with the triune God and consequently that of her members and one another. Wow, the pen is truly mightier than the sword. There are other Catholic heroes, superheroes, that talked about the Eucharist. St. Peter Julian Elmerd is a hero. He writes, The world is ignorant concerning the Eucharist. It is not preached about often enough. The faithful complain of this and wait for someone who will feed them with the word of true life. If we do not preach the Blessed Sacrament, the reason is that our hearts do not understand it. If preachers adored the Blessed Sacrament more often, they would preach about it more often. And yet the salvation of the world lies in Jesus Christ abiding in our midst. I think our world needs superheroes that love the Eucharist. I think Catholics that believe in the, in the true presence and the really understanding of what the Eucharist is about need to be superheroes in today's world, teaching, telling, relating about the Eucharist in the church, that the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So put your, your superhero capes on and your toolbox and get out there and become the superheroes that your baptism is called you to be. Father Don, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the program and be able to ask you some of these questions. Would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, uh, there's a lot to tell, but I'll keep, <laughs> keep it pretty brief. I'm from uh, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a small kind of rural town, Ephrata, Pennsylvania. It's kind of historically known because one of the first monastic communities was in Ephrata, but not Catholic. They were Anabaptist, uh, um, actually. Um, the Ephrata Cloister is kind of the trademark of the town, but it's more rural than urban. And so um, a lot of farming areas around it. Grew up, my dad's side of the family was a farming family. He worked making farm machinery in a factory all his life. And so, again, that's kind of my roots, uh, um, the Ephrata, Lancaster County area. Grew up Catholic. Um, long story, really short, left the church for a while. It was Mennonite. That's a whole other conversation for a while. Came back to the church. So in Catholic ease, I'm known as a revert because I re you know, reverted back to the Catholic faith after being away for a while. And then um, my 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 reversion back, my conversion back to the faith follows along with my vocation to the priesthood. And so not longer after I came back to the faith, I entered seminary, became a priest. So I'm an older vocation. I entered seminary at like 39 years old. And so I have a little bit of you know, otherworldly experience. I spent 13 years in the tourism business industry for a while. I, I graduated college with a teacher's degree and I substituted for five years in that area. So a little bit of a quirky background prior to priesthood. I think it helps me in my priesthood um, greatly. So I uh, grew up with one sister, my, uh, you know, my mom and dad and one just one sister who's married. And I have uh, one nephew who just turned 21. Feels like he was born yesterday, but yes, just turned 21. So 
Um, and then my mom's family, super Catholic, Irish Catholic from Berks County, Reading area. My dad, kind of the opposite. He They were raised uh, Lutheran in the Lidditz area. And so not, he was not Catholic. He never converted to, to the Catholic Church. And so so my dad's side of the family, strong farming sat, uh, family. Mom's side of the family, kind of an urban Reading area uh, kind of family. So that's kind of my background. I was ordained in 2015 by, I think I was the, uh, my class was the first class that Bishop Gaynor ordained deacons. And then, so he did, I forget who the priest was here, was his first priest, but we were the first deacons that he ordained uh, when he got here. Um, and so I was ordained priest 2015. My first assignment was St. Patrick's in Carlisle. I was there for two years, 2015, 2017. Then I was pastor at Our Lady of Lords in Enola from 2017, 2019, and then back to St. Patrick's in Carlisle, 2019. And as of July 1st, I've been there three years, and it will be my longest assignment in any one place. <laughs> so, so that's, I guess that's me. I like, if you ask the kids at school, I like comic books and superheroes. I like to go to the movies. I like trains, kind of my hobbies when I'm not being priestly. So that's there, amazing. There yeah. I love how <laughs> how you have all this life experience of growing up Catholic and then leaving the faith and then coming back and how it's formed your journey and how it's formed how you how you spread the faith. I think that's that's awesome. And also I'm a big comic book superhero fan as well. Excellent. So <laughs> we have that in common. <laughs> so this episode is going to be part of a series on the Eucharistic revival. And I've heard a lot of people talk about having truly transformative experiences when they receive the Eucharist at some point in their lives. Personally, I have not had that yet. Like nothing really sticks out to me currently. But have you ever had an experience with the Eucharist that changed you? I'd say there are probably two, two big ones. The first one was, was so... Um, let's dive back into my vocation story. And so I had been away from the church and I met, um, I lived not far from a Catholic church. So I called that pastor up and I said to him, look, I, we need to talk because I think I'm feeling a call to the priesthood. So we met, he realized I'd been away from the church for a long time. And he said, maybe you need, you know, you know, first you need to come back into the church before we can talk about seminary and priesthood. He goes, and it wouldn't hurt for you to go to RCIA. Now, I didn't need it because I was baptized, confirmed in the faith. So, but um, he said, you've been away for so long, it wouldn't hurt you to go. So I went to RCIA at that church. Amazing teachers. Great experience. I highly recommend it. Like we're not to advertise St. Patrick's, but we are, we do have an adult faith formation class on, it's called I Love Being Catholic. And it's kind of walks you through the catechism, which is what RCIA kind of does too. And so anyway, it's great to learn the faith as an adult is what I'm, to relearn the faith as an adult, you know, kind of away from family and things. So that's what I was doing. I was re-experiencing the Catholic faith for the first time away from family and um, other influences. And so it was really great. So about, I'd say three months into RCIA classes, I made a good confession which, you know, took a while because it'd been 20 years, I think. And then um, then that Sunday after that, I went to Mass and received the Eucharist for the first time in 20 years. And I probably going to start crying now, but I cried then as well. Like I cried the whole way up to the priest and then the whole way back to my seat 
because it was there was just something about it, something about receiving, you know, the Eucharist, communion, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ that gives us strength, gives us hope and and faith, and all that was kind of flowing back into me at one time. And so that was pretty amazing. I would call that uh, whatever you life-moving experience or whatever. The second one was, this was five years ago, um, St. Patrick's and Carlisle went on a pilgrimage to Lourdes and Fatima. And on that pilgrimage, we stopped at a little church that had a Eucharistic miracle. Um, And so they had a monstrance with a communion host that was bleeding and, and or, or had bled or was congealed with blood and we could walk right up to it and see it. And it was overwhelming. Like it, it was just overwhelming. And I think everyone would say the same thing, has said the same thing who experienced it. There was just kind of an overwhelming sense of faith and holiness and like heaven in that space. And so it was kind of really great. Those are two really great moments with the Eucharist, I think, that I've had. There you go. That's pretty incredible. I remember when I was in school, there was a deacon that used to come to our eighth grade class right before confirmation. He used to come in weekly and talk to us about stuff like this. And he had told us about an experience that he had had where he saw or what he thought he saw uh, it bleeding when he was in adoration. And I remember going, that's just wild, but it's got to be pretty powerful to see it and and maybe one day I will get to have an experience similar to that. Yeah, that would be awesome. For people listening who might not be Catholic or might have stepped away from the faith, can you expand on what does the Eucharist mean and why is it called that? Is there a difference between Eucharist and communion? For example, like why is it called First Holy Communion and not First Holy Eucharist? Okay, that is a great question. I have no idea. No, no, that's horrible. I, that's not true. <laughs> I have an opinion. <laughs> but um, you, I mean, the the first part of that question is easy. Eucharist means Thanksgiving, and and so so part of that is, and you know, so, something in my church that I've been really trying to emphasize is why we come to mass. It is not for us. It is not for us to feel good. It is not for us to get something out of it it is for us to give thanks to God for all that he does for us and the the culmination of that thanks that thanks is thanksgiving that culmination of that worship service that mass is the eucharist is so we're saying thanks to him for all he does in our life and all he will do and at the end of that he's saying here is me Take me with you so that you can do my work in the world. And so, like, it's like an exchange of gift, right? So, you know, when we come to Mass and we say, man, I, those those songs really don't do anything for me. Well, they're not supposed to do anything for you. There aren't songs for you. They're songs to give thanks to God for what he's done in our lives. So if we listen to the words and our music directors are very good, they have picked songs that do that. And songs that are particular to that Sunday's reading sometimes or themes and sometimes like that. But so Eucharist really is a thanksgiving to God for all he has done in our life. And then we receive that to go out now. The difference between First Holy Communion and First Holy Eucharist. So the, I, don't, I think that's 
Let's call that a mystery of the church. (laughs) The Catholic church embraces mystery, and here is one of them. But, I mean, again, like, if you think about maybe First Holy Communion, I because she sent me these questions ahead of time, people, just so you know. And so I thought about it. I said, well, maybe they use the word communion, especially in First Holy Communion, because to remind the children that they're becoming a part of a greater family experience in the Eucharist and that the receiving of the Eucharist isn't just for them, but for the whole church family to participate in. And now they get to be a greater participant, participant in that communion. And so I can see how that word would be important to emphasize and stress, but I think it's synonymous with U- Eucharist. You could exchange it. To be honest, we say First Holy Communion at St. Patrick's, but you could probably say First Holy Eucharist too. But more people understand communion, I think, than the than that Greek word. Like, what is that Greek word? I don't know. But but anyway, so that's my take on that question. No, I appreciate that, and that does that makes so much sense. And I really loved how beautifully you put that it's an exchange. That going to church is an exchange of thanks and a gift. And when you put it that way, it makes the argument of like, well, the music's lame at church. Like, like why does it always sound? But it makes so much sense that it's it's not for us. I mean, like God, that makes so much sense. So I really appreciate your Thank insight you. on that. So what does it mean when we say that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist? Oof, that's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> because that's where there's some division in the in our family, right? That's where some other Protestants go, whoa, you know, and say that, like, that's too much, blah, blah, blah. And so... So I thought I thought about that question a lot when when I looked over it. And so I want to reemphasize the fact that the Catholic Church truly embraces mystery, which is one of the things I love about the Catholic Church. I love to be able to say the the phrase, um, yeah, I don't know. And I ain't going to know until I get to heaven (laughs) because it's just mystery. And so this is one of those mysteries, I think, that we just need to have faith in. Right. That's what, I mean, and that's where the church really comes in. Like St. Pope John the Paul II taught us that faith picks up where reason leaves off. And so this is one of those exchanges of reason and faith that we may not understand what actually is going on in that little communion host, but it is becoming the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And and I have no idea how that ha- like I don't know why I have a little idea how that happens, but like just the fact that it is that is just kind of a mystery to me and something I don't think I'll fully understand till I get to heaven and am face to face with the Almighty. But that is where our faith needs to p- pick up where our reason left. So our reason says to us, no way, like that's wheat and water and you know gluten or whatever, and it's always going to be that. And I just can't believe it turns into anything else. That's our reason. But our faith comes in and says, no, John 6 teaches us that it is not. You know, the Last Supper teaches us that it's not. Corinthians, all those verses in the Bible that teach us it is not just wheat and gluten and water, that it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity. And the purpose of us receiving it is to give us strength and hope and faith and all those things. So that's my guess on the mystery of the Eucharist. (laughs) No, the Catholic Church does love mystery. When we get up to heaven, be like, God, I have some questions. Like, can we get these answered, please? (laughs) You mentioned John chapter six. I want to piggyback off of that. In John chapter six, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This bread 
that I will give is my flesh. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you do not have life within you. He goes on to repeat this a total of five times in these verses. And further on, the Jews are actually questioning him and they're like, you know, this is a little weird. I don't know. How do we eat him? How? I'm not sure I can really get behind this teaching. To the point that Jesus actually turns to Peter and asks if he will leave too. And Peter says, well, where else will I go? I'm assuming that the people who followed Jesus at this point were pretty confused. Like, we're not cannibals. And Jesus was known to speak pretty figuratively in parables. In this case, though, is he speaking literally or is he speaking figuratively? Okay, so Catholic theologians will tell you literally. Okay, and, and there's a couple reasons for that. Like, there's some wording on in the... Then the Greek that Jesus is reading where it translates as gnawing or chewing. Um, and so you're like, oh, that kind of sounds literal to me that he wants us to eat and gnaw at it. And so, yeah, I can see some confusion, right? But the end of John chapter 6 is one of my favorite proofs that what he said in 6 was literal, not figuratively. Because in the end, there are people who are like, well, just too much. I'll see you later. And they leave. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, hey, wait, I meant it figuratively. I meant it as a symbol. Please come back. He doesn't. He lets them go. Because this is something he needs them to believe literally. And he's speaking truthfully about it. And so if they're not ready for it, then it's your time to leave. He didn't. Like if it would have been something figurative or or symbolic, I feel like he would have said, Hey, whoa, don't leave. Let me explain, you know, because just he did, kidding. Yeah, you know? just kidding. Or like, no, no, let me let me sit down with my apostles. Like he did that before, like with um, I'm being really bad at my Bible right now, but there were some parables the 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 apostles didn't understand. And so like he says, Okay, let me sit down with you and explain to you the meaning of the parable because I need you to understand it. He didn't do that here. He was like, Nope, this is it. This is what it is. Believe it. Or not, like believe it and stay, or don't and leave. And then, like, I love Peter's response. Like, where would where would I go? Like, who would what? <laughs> like, I've been with you, you know, for four for six chapters now. Like, why would and I think that's why, like, I think Jesus had waited till a moment in the ministry where he was like, Okay, they they really believe in what I'm saying. They they want to follow me. So now I'm gonna drop the mic and see what and see where things fall. And 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 he let them fall like he let some leave and some stay. And the 12 were like, you know, we're anchored. We're going to do we're going to see this to the end. And so I think that's just kind of I mean, I think he said what the way the ending of that chapter ends defines that it's literal, not not figurative, because he just kind of let them choose their path and let them be on their way. And we need to be like that in faith. Like we you know, we can't hope to convert the whole planet with, you know, a few words. Like we need to plant seeds. We need to share the faith with love and see where it takes them. We can't force it on them or push it on them. Like he couldn't, he could have said, please come back and let me explain more. But he was like, no, no, this is something you need to sink your teeth into. <laughs> That's figuratively. And 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 you know, and just kind of soak in on it. And we need to do that as well. We can't we have to hope that there'll be conversion, but we can't push the conversion or force it. And so there we go. Is that a good answer? No, absolutely. That makes <laughs> it makes a lot of sense because okay. you're right. Like he doesn't there are plenty of times where he's like, All right, hold up, let me break this down a little bit further for you. But instead, he's 
lets people come to the conclusion on their own, Mm -hmm. which I guess makes a lot of sense for people who are converts and reverts of like he throws the breadcrumbs out there, but it's our responsibility to pick them up if we so choose. Yep. So that makes that makes a ton of sense. Back in the day, a long time ago, (laughs) I was an altar server. So I've seen the wafers we used for communion, at least at the time. They came mm-hmm. in a big plastic bag mm-hmm. and we put them in the ciborium, which, fun fact, I had no idea what that holder thing was called. I had to call up one of the deacons in the building and say, "What? I can't call it the holder thing. <laughs> so it's, it is ciborium. called a ciborium. Yep. <laughs> but we used to put them in there before mass. So when does the wafer stop being a wafer? And actually become the body of Christ. Okay, that is a great question because it never it never stops being a wafer. <laughs> so it's always a it's always a clump of wheat, water, and gluten. Like it's always that. But at one moment, it is transformed, but not changed into the body and blood of Christ. When does that happen? Oof, okay, so there's a lot of I don't want to say debate, but theories on it. I like, but it absolutely happens during the words of consecration, and that's for sure. Like I, I was uh, in youth group a couple weeks ago, and I brought the Roman Missal with me, and I said, like, "Wouldn't it be fun if they, not not everyone sees that big red book that we use on the altar, the words in it?" I thought it would be neat to show them. So in that big red book that no one ever gets to see the words in, unless you you know serve in the altar or walk by it. Those words of consecration are in all bold caps. So it's kind of like the church saying, look, these words are important. <laughs> don't mess them up. <laughs> like You can maybe mess up the other words, but don't mess these words up. And so that was that kind of freaks me out and scares me. And so I'm always like, I always read them because I don't want to mess them up. And my memorization skills are crap. And so like, <laughs> thank God for the red book. But anyway, and so, so. There will be people who will say that um, when you speak those words, that at the end of your speaking of those words, that's when the the host becomes the Eucharist. There are people that say it's a combination of those words and your breath, like the priest breathing on the Because the book says, lean over and speak these words. So feeling like the breath and, and, and the words together make the conversion. And so it's at that moment, at some point in the speaking of those words, that the host becomes the Eucharist through no, like, so through no action of my own personal action, but Christ acting through me. So that, like, if any priest says their knees aren't knocking during that moment, whether they've done it once or a thousand times, I mean, my knees are, I'm seven years a priest and my knees still knock during the consecration. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear the rest of this episode, you can listen to us anytime on Spotify under Candid Catholic Convos, or you can download this episode from our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, The easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC. 
and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.